Welcome to Journeys of Teaching. I'm Aaron R. Gearhart. This week we are exploring the journey of Willie McKeel. Willie is a remote sensing program manager for TAC Aero, a professional pilot instructor, and an associate professor of aviation at Minnesota State University, Mankato. On the last episode, we heard Willie share his journey towards realizing his passions for aviation, geography, and higher education. When I talked with Willie, he got into the field-based work he has done in aviation and geography, and how he has transferred his professional experiences and passions into his teaching. At uh, Minnesota State, what is the name of your position with Tackero? Like, what is that technically called? Um, so... Uh, I guess I would say like uh, remote sensing program manager and then uh, professional pilot instructor, because um, I do have the capability to do some like tailwheel endorsements for people who want to learn to do a little bit more specialty flying. Um, and then whenever there's uh, remote sensing projects that need to be worked on, I can always lend a hand consulting on whatever that that needs to be and kind of making sure like over the summer, all the wildfire mapping stuff is going smoothly, uh, coordinating, like my position in the wildfire stuff is I'm kind of the intermediate person who is on the phone every single night, uh, with a phone call and text messages every day, every night with the fire bosses on every individual incident. And then I'm communicating that information to our pilots. I'm also helping develop flight plans at times. And then at the end of the night, I'm actually creating the final product and I'm delivering it back to the fire boss. So everything kind of funnels through me in some way for that. Um, but then there might be a project like uh, we're collecting imagery over a campus for an engineering company that wants really nice looking ortho mosaic imagery. And so I'll be the one that goes in and plugs all that stuff in, creates the final output, delivers it, troubleshoots if they're having issues uh, consuming the data, that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah, so it's kind of a two two parts to the company. There's Hood Tech Arrow and TAC Arrow. Mm -hmm. And so TAC Arrow is kind of aviation services where um, airport management, uh, special specialty flight training, um, maintenance services, all that kind of stuff that's like aviation services related. And then mm -hmm. HTA, Hood Tech Arrow, is all like specialty um, technology, if you will, like uh, Department of Defense payload testing, um, specialty mapping, like wildfire mapping and, um, all kinds of different stuff like that. So is it like a case y'all are picking up like different contracts to do different work within those areas? That's the idea. Yep. Okay. Exactly. Like the wildfire stuff were contracted for five years through the U S forest service. Um, for um, some of the DOD stuff, we might be contracted by like the Mexican Navy or um, by like some private companies or whoever, like Boeing or in situ or something like that, maybe have some specialty case that they need help with. And so we support on that. And so like, I remember when we were trying to set this up, you we were like, yeah, I've got some course prep to do. And I'm also doing some wildfire mapping. So like when you're, when you're doing that, like, what does that consist of? You're flying over it and how do you collect data like i have no working knowledge of that so that if you could give me a little background on that yeah for sure so we've uh we started with cessna 182s just little um four seater single prop uh then we upgraded to 206s for this season which is a larger more capable aircraft that's pressurized and um we have like a specialty um 
a, sp a special uh, provision from the FAA to mount cameras on the side of it. And we do near infrared color and thermal. And for the wildfire stuff, we just happen to only use the thermal because we fly at night. And so during the day, um, the wildfires are raging hot, burning all over. And they've got planes coming in and out, dropping water. They've got all the ground crews doing all the things that um, that keep everyone safe out west and manage this stuff. And then at night, when everything kind of comes to a little bit more of a halt, our planes come over and we just mow the lawn back and forth, back right. and forth, snapping pictures. Uh, then they land somewhere. They upload the imagery via um, Wi-Fi connection to me in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. I stitch all of those individual images together into a bigger image. And then I sit there and I point and click and create a perimeter around the entire fire. And then I identify all the heat sources within that perimeter and then uh, export that so they can open it in Google Earth and um, geo-reference PDFs. And then uh, that all has to be uploaded before 6 a.m. my time. Uh, to all the fire bosses out West. And then they take that for their morning briefing. And that's how they allocate all the resources for the day. Oh. And uh, in some of these areas, uh, you know, us being from the Midwest, I guess I should say like me specifically being from the Midwest, I had no perspective on right. what this problem really looked like because, you know, I think like, hundreds of acres is massive, you know, and there's um, corn and soil all over it. If we have that land. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. And, and so the idea of like a thousand acre field burning is like, Oh my gosh, that's a total disaster. Yeah. And out there people don't even notice that. I mean, it burns on its own and no one has a clue it's happening. And it just shows how remote some of these areas are and how wild the terrain is. And so these firefighters, um, they're fighting this stuff completely blind in some cases because it's so mountainous and so remote. And so this imagery and these maps are the only way they can get a handle on what, uh, what the extent of this stuff is. And I guess it would, from what you said, you kind of pinpoint the sources of the heat. So it's making their work more efficient of where they're dumping the water and things like that. Exactly. Uh, you know, I, I kind of liken it to um, old school agriculture versus modern precision agriculture and old school ag. You would just do one blanket application across everything and hope for the best. And precision ag is finding that individual problem and putting only the correct resources towards it. And wildfire management has become the same way. They're they're only looking they're they're using a scalpel basically to cut out the exact pieces that they need to to make sure it's manageable. What's an insight that you can share about climate change, particularly in this country, that people might not necessarily be aware of from like mainstream news? If any, maybe I'm maybe that's too lofty of a question. I don't know. No, it is lofty. And, and I don't know. I'd have to ponder it for a little while. But one thing that comes to mind immediately is uh, I've done a couple seasons of the wildfire mapping stuff. And what I saw at the beginning of the season was a couple hundred acres. And I'm like, like I said earlier, my perspective is these are big fires. This is going to be complicated stuff. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, now it's 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 acres. And it's not like a fire that's growing. There's dozens of these happening all at the same time. And by the end of the season last year, one of the fires I was mapping was half a million acres. And it was, they were evacuating uh, prisons it was approaching the capital city out in Oregon. And I'm, uh, I'm solely responsible for all the button, button clicking that's getting done and getting that product pushed out. Yeah. And 
so then transition into this year, we didn't have fires that were nearly that big that I was personally working on, although they were happening um, in other areas. Yeah. But one night alone in the state of Washington, we were assigned 14 fires. And to me, that's insane. And so they said, uh, we know this isn't realistic. Get whatever you can. And so we ended up like with seven or something like that, that we successfully completed that night. So I talked to a couple of buddies and kind of filled them in at some point, like, oh, how's work going? And I'm telling them. And they're like, I didn't know there was any fires in Washington. And I'm like, they're all over the place. But if you don't live in Washington, you have no clue that's going on. And then think about um, what the Midwest was experiencing this year with uh, record level droughts in so many places. The people in Washington may have no idea that that's happening in Minnesota because we're so insulated in some ways. So you only hear like the big headline grabbing wildfire in Siberia or in Northern California, but you don't connect the dots between all the other things that are happening, the water crisis that's happening with the Colorado river. Um, there's just so many things, let alone hurricanes and geez, I mean, it's, it's a disaster a minute and it's really hard to keep all that kind of sorted and organized, uh, through space and through time to understand how much this stuff is kind of clumping together it feels like yeah and we i feel like our senses get dulled to it a little bit because like you said we hear so much like big picture but like you kind of sit in a unique chair where you get to actually literally see it on the map and like you like the washington example that's i had i knew it was hot out there this recently but i didn't know about that that's crazy yeah and uh one of the more rewarding things that i got to do this year was identify a number of fires that they didn't even know were burning yet and so our pilots were cruising in they flip on the cameras early to get set up on their flight line and i'm sitting there mapping everything out at the end of the night and i click one button to kind of change the histogram of how the imagery is displayed and i'm like what is that so i scroll up and i zoom in it's a 4,000 acre fire that no one had any clue was burning. That's so crazy. I'm able to get on the phone and say, Hey, this is going on right here. And they're like, thank you. This is like, you have no clue how important this is. So they send crews out and it's put out within a couple of days um, before it becomes a huge disaster. So that kind of stuff is like super exciting. Yeah. For, and maybe you know, probably life-saving too. That's so crazy. Yeah. In some cases it, it feels like it. Yeah. It's uh. I'll be honest, by the end of this season, I was really, really burnt. I was feeling afraid at all the edges and it was difficult on my family too, but uh, I operate really well on certain motivations and like I can put my head down and get through like a suffer fest. If I know there's an end in sight and I have good reason for it. Right. And when you're talking to these fire bosses every night as one example, it's like, what more motivation do you need than hearing right. how grateful they are? And you're like, I don't care how tired I am. I'm not nearly as tired as them. Like I always talk to like joke with people. Um, the biggest risk I run is carpal tunnel and tripping <laughs> over my charger in my, in my kitchen. So like it pales in comparison to the actual work that's being done. And right. so if I'm going to be a crybaby about sleep, I really need some, I have some growing up to do. <laughs> well, and like the fact that you were able, like you said, to scroll and zoom in and locate a 4,000 acre fire that they didn't even know about. Mm -hmm. Like that's so motivated. You know, you're kind of, <laughs> Your boots aren't literally on the ground, but like you're figuring stuff out. You're it's such an important collaboration. I, I wasn't aware of to the extent of like the mapping work you're doing. So this is very interesting to me.
I guess in what ways does that practical work you're doing inform your teaching? Because I have to imagine you come across very relevant to your students. You're, you're using that training in very significant ways. Yeah. And I think to answer that, I would divide up my teaching career into kind of two different components. The okay. first is when I was a geographer mm-hmm. and uh, working in like basic ge- geography classes, like the 101s and 201s of the world, like right. physical, cultural, um, intro to cartography, that kind of thing. And then I also taught some uh, geospatial technology courses. And uh, then there's the aviation side of things um, that that I'm into now. And obviously everything I've done has been very complimentary to both in many ways, um, because as the company grew and diversified, I was learning so much more about real life applications in aviation that I had never even considered as being an option prior to that. Because when I was coming through the program, it was so heavily emphasized that um, you get your commercial pilot certificate, you get your flight instructor rating, you go on to the airlines. And that's what you do. That's the path that's been blazed by everyone. But nobody was talking about tailwheel flying in Alaska and uh, imaging wildfires and 182s and all that kind of stuff. And so that's really informed what I'm doing right now in some unique ways. And then uh, the, uh, you know, prior to this semester, when I started with the aviation stuff, when I was doing the geography stuff, I mean, we're talking about topics like climate change. And so, yeah, I can sit here and say there's um, five things that cause climate change and, and go through um, orbital variations and uh, changes in oceanic currents and on and on and on and list all those. And everybody's like head bobbing. <laughs> and it, it's like, no, this is really important stuff. Climate change is critically important. And they, they understand it, but it's not very stimulating. Right. But as soon as I start pulling up thermal uh, full motion videos of um, a million acre fire that's burning in Oregon that our pilots captured, or I'd be rolling into class at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., and I would pull up on the overhead. Here's a map that I, I built like two hours ago, and I've been working all night, and this is why it's important. And I'm like full of energy right now, even though I was up all night because I'm so excited to talk to you about the work I was doing last night and how important it is. Like they're evacuating a thousand people right now from their homes. What does that mean about what's happening with climate change to you guys? And it just resonates in a totally different way. Right. So um, did the students get opportunities to like take those images or maps and kind of construct meaning from them as well? Is that some of the type of the work they're doing too? In some ways, like, uh, it, it, it kind of depends. It, it's really close to that. So I do a lot of work with like my intro geography students with uh, like Google Earth, for example. It's really user friendly. So they're interacting with technology. They're zooming in and out and looking at real world problems and their spatial distribution, which is really important. Um, and then for like the applied geospatial technology classes, we are doing more of like, what is the best way to map this stuff, technically speaking? So, yeah, there's a little bit of both going on, but everybody is getting to interact with that content in some way. And then um, importantly, I think maybe most importantly, I don't know, just the conversation of these applications, I think has been the biggest thing because students are sitting there scratching their head and like the geography stuff was total gen ed stuff that they're checking a box. And we started every semester with the same, one of the same questions was always what, what brought you here and what do you hope to get from the class? 
every single time I'd say 85 plus percent of them was I had to take this to check the box and I didn't want to take fill in the blank. And so then my marching orders for that semester was to get them to say, oh my gosh, I had no clue. This is what geography actually is. I thought it was memorizing the names of capitals. I had no clue. It was all this other stuff. And so uh, just letting them like glimpse into the other side of things, uh, I think was probably the most important thing they got out of it for many of them. And did you wrangle any new students into your program through doing it that way? Uh, A lot. Yeah. And, you know, at the time I was uh, I wasn't in a program. I was a department of one because we were a community college. And so we didn't offer a full geography degree. But, yeah, I've had quite a few graduates go on and say, like, um, they knew they were going to go into criminal justice, but now they're doing criminal justice with a GIS certificate because they want to understand how to map crime. Uh, I have a student who started with me at uh, Riverland, took an intro geography class, saw um, in my intro that I'm a pilot and I've done all these applied things. She got a hold of me. She ended up becoming a pilot. Right now, she's a student at Minnesota State University getting her GIS certificate. And she's right uh, like two months out from getting a full-time job offer mapping wildfires out west. So um, after doing an internship with me. So, yeah, there's been some really great success with getting people kind of funneled into a direction that they didn't necessarily see coming. That's such a cool kind of like bookend to it. You talked about some of the people that supported you and kind of finding your path and you're able to do that as well. That's got to be quite fulfilling. It is. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, I always tell my students that, you know, my dad uh, was in the laborers union and I say like, if I would have gone the trade route and been a laborer, I would have worked all day spent all night reading about this stuff and watching shows and been totally entertained and like kind of obsessed with it, just like my dad is in some ways. Um, Instead, I get to do it all day long. And then I do it in the evening and I read about it in my free time and I do it on my vacations and all that (laughs) stuff. So it's like uh, when I can see somebody else pick up a little bit of the same enthusiasm I have, it's like the most exciting feeling in the world, which I know all educators pick up on that with like the aha moments and that sort of thing. And I definitely feel it in a big way. Too often, we try to teach students about the world in a very removed, decontextualized manner in ways that are prepackaged and prescribed from textbooks, curricular guides, and worksheets. Willie's story exemplifies the power of bringing the real world into the classroom, knocking down the brick and mortar walls that seem to serve as boundaries to what could and should be truly impactful, authentic, and relevant learning and growth for our students. We will finish exploring Willie's narrative on the next episode on this podcast feed. You can follow Willie on Instagram at Willie McKeel. My contact information is in the episode description. This is Journeys of Teaching. I am Aaron R. Gearhart, and thank you for listening.